Hey everybody, this is Rafe Telsch, and this is episode 32 of Have Not Seen This, a weekly in-depth look at a much-beloved movie, selected specifically by our guest, that they're a little surprised when they find out people have not seen. As always, thanks for downloading and listening to this week's episode, and hope everybody is doing well out there. I hope you are continuing to stay safe, to stay sheltered, uh, to follow the advice that's being given, or your common sense, whichever is better advice at this point, based on how some of at least our country is proceeding with how things are going. But we're not going to go down that road. In fact, we're not going to go down any road this week because I'm running a little late and because I didn't do a Friday inquiry last week. We're just going to get straight into the interview. But do remember, most weeks I do put up a Friday inquiry on social media. That's at Have Not Seen This on Twitter and Have Not Seen This podcast on Facebook and answer the question that I didn't ask last week. But let's get into this week's episode, which is a great episode. Really happy with how this conversation turned out. And it was a nice break from all of the comedies that I've been doing lately at the same time, still keeping things lighter. So it was really nice to get to look at a different type of lighter movie. In this case, uh, the kind of the summer big budget popcorn blockbuster movie. And this was brought to us by Daniel from the Passion Fruits podcast. I'm not going to say much about his podcast because he does an excellent job of talking about it at the end of the episode. Other than I will say, I really enjoyed listening to it. It is a very unique podcast. I was really happy to talk to Daniel. We talk about 2014's Live, Die, Repeat or Edge of Tomorrow or Live, Die, Repeat, Edge of Tomorrow, depending on which title for the film you wish to use. The official title of the movie is Edge of Tomorrow. And here is Daniel and I talking about this 2014 movie for this week's conversation. So you picked this movie uh, when I put out a call for Lighter Fair. Right. Um, <laughs> and for most people, I would say like 90% of the responses I got were comedies and this while having humor to it is is not comedy what made you think lighter fair equals edge of tomorrow i don't know i think there's some um maybe i was feeling kind of not existential but more uh moody when i saw your post on facebook um and this movie kind of has some humor bits to it but also some moody bits to it um and when the humor is there and kind of the lightheartedness is there in the movie, it's kind of arresting uh, compared to everything else that's going on in the movie. Yeah, I, I liked that you picked it. And when you, when you first picked it, I kind of went, OK, well, I'll shelve that till later because right. it's not a comedy. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, well, you know, summer popcorn blockbusters are lighter fare. I mean, yeah. They just aren't comedies, but they actually absolutely kind of those are necessary movies sometimes. Right. Yeah, totally. Now, are you a, a popcorn flick kind of guy? Is that, you know, something you enjoy or is this just an exception? Yeah, no. Usually when I go see movies in the movie theater, it's kind of always for the big popcorn movies. The ones that it's kind of like, OK, I have to see this movie in the movie theater. But with this one, I didn't actually see it in the theater. I. So I watched it at a friend's house and it kind of just grabbed me with how much I enjoyed it and have since watched it like 15 times. So, Or have you only watched it once and just gone through that experience oh. 15 times? <laughs> oh, no. 
<laughs> I'm going to be up all night, just like in a cold sweat. <laughs> <laughs> trying to figure that out. <laughs> yeah, I I didn't see it in the theater, but I did see it at a drive-through theater. Oh, cool. Which was it was first time I'd been to a drive-through in years, yeah. like decades. And unfortunately, that made it not the best experience because we probably spent the first 10, 15 minutes trying to get the audio worked out. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah. So I didn't get to hear a lot of the stuff at the very beginning of the movie. And it, it's not that it's essential, but it does, uh, you know, kind of move quickly in getting the world set up. And yeah. I, I kind of missed a lot of that. So it was nice to get that on this revisit. There's some sections in the movie where it's kind of just like exposition dump, which, um, can be helpful, but when you don't have any audio or anything to listen to, <laughs> it yeah, kind of ruins a it. Little problematic. Yeah. Well, one question I usually ask before we get into the actual movie itself, you know, the podcast is have not seen this movies that you're surprised when other people have not seen. What are your have not seen this movies? What movies are kind of holes in your movie knowledge that other people are surprised that you haven't seen? Oh gosh. Um uh probably now I can't even remember the name. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't think I've ever seen. I've seen bits and pieces of Apocalypse Now. I don't think I've ever seen Citizen Kane. You, you know, the the films that people always talk about, like, oh, you haven't seen that? Like, and people get upset that you haven't seen that when you're talking about movies. Um, yeah. More recent stuff. I've probably seen most of it, but. Um, gotcha. Yeah, I guess more of the classic ones. Well, that, that makes sense. I mean, I, I, when I was, you know, actually writing as a film critic, that was kind of, the, and that was kind of the inspiration for this podcast is people would be like, how have you not seen this movie? And it's like, dude, I see like 80 movies a year. Right. That one just ha didn't happen to be one of them, or I haven't had time to go back and get one of them. So I totally understand this classic. I have not seen Citizen Kane. Yeah. Um, it's a huge hole that I frequently try and sit down to fix and then get distracted by something shiny and never end right. up seeing it. <laughs> it's sometimes like you, it's such like an undertaking to get to some of those movies because there's so much mythos behind them and so much culture behind them that you're like, okay, now I'm getting into the culture and I can tell people I've seen Citizen Kane, but like, all right, I got to just like prepare myself to watch this movie. It doesn't seem like you don't throw it on like your Blu-ray or something. It's like you almost have to like light some candles and set a nice dinner and pour a <laughs> glass of wine or something. Uh, really set the mood, I guess, to watch Citizen Kane or Apocalypse Now. <laughs> yeah, Apocalypse Now, you may go more for beer than right, wine. Yeah, but yeah. I, I, you're the, actually the second guest I've interviewed in a row who mentioned Apocalypse Now. I do recommend it. It's a yeah. great film, but I totally get what you're saying. Well, today we are talking Edge of Tomorrow uh, from 2014, directed by Doug Lyman, written by Christopher McQuarrie, Jez Butterworth, and John Henry Butterworth, based on the novel by Hiroshi Sakurazaka, starring Tom Cruise, Emily Blunt, Bill Paxton, and Brendan Gleeson. I'm going to tell you a story. At first, it's going to sound ridiculous, but the longer I talk... We have to find the keys the more rational it's going to appear. I can't believe you found coffee. Sugar, right? Yeah. Hold on. Three. You like three. How many times have we been here? How many times? For me, it's been an eternity. This is not... 
The invasion will fail. We lose everything. I die within five minutes of landing on that beach, along with every other soldier. How did you do that? Come on! Come find me when you wake up! So, how do you describe this movie to someone who has not seen it? Um, I would describe it as Groundhog Day, but with aliens and uh, some guns. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's pretty dead on. <laughs> I, that's, I mean, for reducing it down to like trying to get people to watch it, that's kind of reducing it down to how you could get people to watch it. But um, it's a sci-fi action movie uh, with a lot of not, I guess not time travel, but loops on itself and uh, yeah. reliving the same day. And if you kind of just want a movie that you can zone out to, it's a good one. But if you want a movie that you can actually take kind of seriously, it's also a good one. So Groundhog yeah. Day gets people into it. But the the best description I found was Groundhog Day meets Starship Troopers. Oh, yeah, that's. That's pretty much right on it. <laughs> right. And I, it was funny when I, because I always look at critical reviews, try to pull a couple in, which we'll get to a little later, but I, it was hard to find any review that didn't mention Groundhog Day. I mean, right. that's such an integral part of what this movie is, even though there are some substantial differences between this and Groundhog Day, some some of which I really like. Yeah. But we'll, we'll get into that in a few minutes as well. So, yeah. So are you a Tom Cruise fan? I should ask that up front, too. Uh, I I kind of weirdly am. I like a lot of his movies, but I also like not that he's constantly doing them, but I like his sci fi movies like Minority Report. I actually do like Oblivion a lot. Um, you know, a lot <laughs> of people did not like that movie. <laughs> that could be a whole nother podcast, I guess. Yeah, I don't remember Oblivion. Like I I saw it and I found my review of it when I wrote a review of it, but I don't remember it. <laughs> it's just a blank spot. Um, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I remember writing about it, having like just about every sci-fi trope that you could punch into a movie right. in it. But the, the actual plot is just absent from my brain. <laughs> well, I won't go into it now, but it's all about <laughs> the moon exploding and Sigourney Weaver's a talking pyramid. <laughs> <laughs> well oh so, you have me captivated <laughs> yeah don't you want to see it now let's do that next episode <laughs> i'm not usually a tom cruise fan i went through a i, I kind of started out as not a tom cruise fan and i went through a period where i really liked what he was doing when he was kind of trying doing more dramatic stuff yeah and then he moved back into action and i just like i enjoy the movies Right. Like, I'm a huge fan of the Mission Impossible movies, mm. but I don't enjoy him. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that's the case for a lot of people. <laughs> you know, it's kind of hard to maybe separate Tom Cruise as the person versus the actor. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't say like with some movies, you know, like with a lot of the directors or actors that I like, you know, it's. I always have to go see that movie in the theater. Or it's like, I'm always going to rent that one. But with Tom Cruise, his movies, I've at least found them to always be pretty enjoyable. Uh, again, those Mission Impossible movies have been actually surprisingly pretty great. 
And I think just getting better with each one, although I have to admit I haven't seen last like the last one or two. But yeah. they, they really got kept getting stronger. Yeah, it was it's kind of strange because you think like a franchise based on kind of like spy thriller tropes would have run out of ideas, but I, I find those fun and interesting at least. You know, I don't really find myself going back to the older Tom Cruise movies a lot, but you know, if I'm bored on a Saturday or Sunday might throw on mission impossible or edge of usually edge of tomorrow, you know, would always look for his stuff. Yeah. I I think for me, it's that, you know, he he's good at what he does and apparently he's quite exceptional as a stuntman. Like uh, the director of this film said that he could have had a hell of a career as a stunt person because he insists on doing so much of his own stunt work. Right. But he's not an actor that you look for to play a, a variety of roles. You cast Tom Cruise to be Tom Cruise. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just, all right, Tom Cruise is in this movie. He's going to be Tom Cruise. And that's about it. Like, just let him do his thing. He'll do some amazing stunts and we can all just live with that. And yeah. Yeah. And I, and I guess that's for me, I want actors who are pushing themselves, you know, and, and I don't feel like I get that with Cruz, but I do, I do enjoy his action movies. So I guess I'm a hypocrite. <laughs> <laughs> nah. <laughs> well, as I said, I normally try to pull in a couple of critical reviews and I specifically went to one person uh, for this because she's a huge Tom Cruise fan and that's Amy Nicholson from LA Weekly. She provides the positive review. Uh, This is a pretty positively reviewed movie. It sits at 90% at Rotten Tomatoes right now, making it one of the higher uh, scored movies that we've had on the show. It sits at 71% at Metacritic. And Amy Nicholson wrote for the LA Weekly, To work, Edge of Tomorrow must both make light of death, lest the audience be ground into despair, and rally us to care whether Cage lives. Lyman walks this tricky tightrope. We chuckle when fellow soldier Rita, Emily Blunt, whose biceps look bigger than Cruz, shoots Cage like a fallen racehorse so the day can restart. But every time he jolts back to life, we feel for his gulping, startled agony. The Wild E. Coyote fatalities are fun, but it's that repetitive moment of horror that holds his bipolar stunt together. Cruz bug-eyed and gasping for breath as he shakes off his fear and grimly prepares for the next suicide mission. On the negative side, uh, brought in Rene Rodriguez's review from the Miami Herald, and this will be interesting following something we just talked about, Uh, Rodriguez said, after such a promising start, Edge of Tomorrow reverts to the usual formula of huge special effects and a race towards a specific target that must be destroyed in order to kill all the aliens at once. Why do invading extraterrestrials always bring with them the single thing that can wipe them out? Couldn't they have hit it on Jupiter or something? The structure of Edge of Tomorrow is strangely similar to Oblivion, whose first near plotless hour was intriguing and then came the bad guys and ruined everything. I'll bet you can barely remember that one. And a year from now, Edge of Tomorrow will sound like the title of a new series on Lifetime. So any thoughts from either of those reviews that, that hit you? Um, I guess probably, <laughs> you know, some of the points on the negative review, I wouldn't say, oh, you're totally wrong about. Um, <laughs> and especially, I guess one point, what I also really enjoy about this movie is that kind of us talking about Tom Cruise movies, he's always seems to put himself into being able to play the hero and being able to play this great action star. And while ultimately he becomes that in this movie, he's at the very beginning, a cowardly media relations army guy, military guy who doesn't want to go near guns, has purposefully stayed away from any of the action. And while he's still in the military, he's, 
gone as far away from that as he can. And he starts out as a total, you know, noob to all of it. Uh, and of course, then he, you know, by virtue of the Groundhog Day effect that is in the movie, he has been able to train himself over thousands of days or whatever, hundreds of days. Um, so he turns into a great action star. So that's kind of what drew me in a little bit more was like, because you can always be like, oh, it's just Tom Cruise doing exactly what he's doing, you know, being the great action star. But here he is kind of uh, playing into or playing out of that trope of uh, being that great action star and having to kind of be a novice in being an action star and ultimately killing a bunch of aliens. Yeah. Lyman said he he wanted Cruise in this because it would put him doing uh, something he'd never done on film before which was doing things badly. Right. <laughs> and I, I kind of agree with you. What's funny is my memory of this movie in between when I saw it at the drive-thru, uh, a drive-in uh, uh, in 2014, and, and then re-watching it the other night for this, my mindset was that I didn't like Cruise in this specifically for what you just said, because we're supposed mm-hmm. to buy into the idea that he is not combat ready. You know, that he, as he puts it, I do this so I don't have to do that when he's talking about being a PR guy versus being a soldier. And it's Tom Cruise. You know, he's going to end up kicking ass because that's what he does. But when I was rewatching it, he kind of is perfectly cast because he does have that charisma um, that he plays so heavily upon in the, the film's opening. He kind of is the right guy to be like, no, I'm not a combat guy. I'm just here for my good looks and charming personality and then having to learn how to kick ass later on in the film. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it works better than I remembered it working, I guess. The the one thought that did come to my mind when I was watching this, the first sequence when he's on the, the beach, mm-hmm. right? And he's trying to make his way across the beach. And I, I, not the first time because, you know, he dies and then he starts having this time loop. And when he when it's showing him making the trip across the beach and failing here and then doing it again and failing there and doing it again. And I was like, this is a video game. Right. You know that you you get to a point in a video game where you've memorized the patterns up to a certain point and then you're trying to learn that point so you can proceed further. And then once you get that great, now you've got that added to the stuff that you've got memorized. And, and but then the next thing screws you up. Right. Yeah. It's like uh, Dark Souls, but uh, <laughs> right. uh, uh, Tom Cruise style. And I guess not as many bosses, but <laughs> just got to memorize a bunch. Right. And it, what I found interesting is the, the author of the novel, actually, that was part of his inspiration in writing the original novel this was based upon was video games. Yeah. Um, and the novel, I after I saw this movie, I read the novel and it's like almost completely different than the movie of course i mean just how most books and movies are but you know i really like the novel adding more especially to the aliens and giving a little bit more background to the aliens but i think both the i think the movie is a very good companion piece to the novel and both provide a lot of context to each other well that adds extra weight to that groundhog day meets starship troopers comparison then because starship troopers as a movie is vastly different from the the heinlein novel Right. Oh, yeah, totally. So I didn't even realize this was based on a novel. So I find it interesting that you've gone out and and found it and read it. Yeah, I mean, this (laughs) uh, I'll probably be the only person uh, who will tell you that uh, they love this movie so much (laughs) that they've watched it 15 (laughs) times and then they went out and got the novel and read it in like an afternoon. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know what gets me about this movie, but it's 
a lot of fun and there's some heart to it. And Emily Blunt and Tom Cruise just kind of doing everything they can to save the world. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the Groundhog Day element that I really or the difference from Groundhog Day that I really like with this movie is, you know, in in Groundhog Day, Phil Connors is going through that loop time and time again, and he takes different approaches to it. But he's on his own on trying to figure out what to do with this time. Right. And in this movie, Cruz's character kind of gets a mentor in the form of Emily Blunt's character, you know, that he finds out she's been through this before. Yeah. And, and so the fact that she can not only train him to kick ass, but also what he's supposed to be using this power for. And it's it's interesting to me because when they first are having these conversations about it, they have different motives. You know, he is trying to figure out what's going on so he can get rid of it. And she wants to use it to win the war. Right. And even she's not wanting him to get trained enough that he can win the war. It's she wants him to die and get far enough that she can defeat the alpha. And it's interesting because when uh, Tom Cruise, it's so frustrating seeing that ground and talking about uh, Tom Cruise actually having someone to talk to in the Emily Blunt character uh, about the issues that he's going through and about, you know, this loop that he's stuck in. It's so frustrating to then see Emily Blunt say when she's training him, be like, you come back like, every single day like we do this like you train me and you can defeat these aliens and tom cruise is like you already have like this is who knows how many times he's gone to see emily blunt's character to get trained with her she's it's just like she knows what he's going through but it's so heart if i can say heartbreaking (laughs) for an action movie but it's so heartbreaking to kind of see that tom cruise is totally alone in this but he has someone who's experienced it but she can't experience it now so yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I particularly like uh, I mean, they show us him going to her one or two times early on, and then you just kind of get the feeling of what that's going to be like from that point on. So they don't right. have to keep rehashing it. And because we have the knowledge that she had this same gift at one point, you can kind of fill in the hole with your own imagination that it doesn't take much to convince her that, yeah, he's been here before and she's helping him out. You just kind of assume that that's going to work. But I love when he gets to the point where he doesn't want to see her die. So he decides to go it alone and he goes. And so you that's like one of the times that it goes back to him initially meeting her there in the training room floor with her doing the plank there. Right. And he just walks away from her. And I liked that moment because it definitely was a, a departure for his character in that he wasn't getting her help. But my first thought was she dies on the beach. He doesn't save her if he goes it alone because now he's not there to save her on the beach or to keep her from going there. So by choosing not to take her with him and just kind of go on this mission on his own, it's not saving her. Right. And I think that may be at the point. Yeah. So after the scene in the farmhouse with the helicopter and he's, you know, gets Emily Blunt some coffee. And after that helicopter scene, it's almost like Tom Cruise his character has just like almost given up. Like he, he knows he can do it. He knows exactly what like to do when he gets to that farmhouse with a helicopter. But I mean, that's like when he is suiting up for that solo mission, I guess he, the, one of the, I think it's Griff might ask him if he's drunk. You know, I think that's just Tom Cruise, his character almost like breaking down 
So I completely agree that his motivation for wanting to keep Emily Blunt's character alive is like totally done when he goes solo, but it's almost like he's just given up and just wants to almost kick some alien ass and is just so frustrated with the situation he's in that he can't do anything about it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is definitely a feeling of helplessness, but it's at the same time, it's almost selfishness because he's so tired of her coming along with him and them dying that he's trying to do it without her dying, not realizing that by not saving them on the beach, all, all these people are going to die anyway. Like, right. it, okay, great. He makes it to where they think the Omega is. Right. But so what? If he had managed to save the Omega, if he had managed to defeat the Omega there, those people would still be dead. Right. Yeah. Totally. So, so it's almost selfish. Yeah, totally. Oh, so let's backtrack to that that farmhouse scene because that farmhouse scene simultaneously rubbed me the wrong way, but then also became a moment that I really liked in the movie. Um, because this is this is later in the movie. They've been trying to, you know, find this Omega. They're trying to get off the beach. They're trying to get to freedom. And they get to this farmhouse. And Emily Blunt is focused on finding the keys to this helicopter and he's trying to pour her coffee. And it started to feel like this forced romantic scene. And that's the one thing I don't like about this movie is I feel like the romance story is kind of shoehorned in because he's Tom Cruise. Like, I don't feel like it feels germane to the story. But at the same time, I love that as he's pouring her the coffee and as the sugars, especially when he remembers, you know, she likes three sugars. It's like as an audience member, you go, oh, shit, he's been here before. He's been here before enough times that he knows how she wants her coffee. He's lying to her to try to protect her. And there was a part of that that I kind of liked as well. I, I completely agree. And the first couple of times that I watched this movie, and I mean, even now when I watch it, I agree that sometimes the romantic aspect feels a little bit shoehorned in because, you know, Emily Blunt, Tom Cruise, like two star actors. And what are they going to do? Like saving the world. There has to be some romance. But I get that exact same feeling in the farmhouse when it's he's like, oh, no, you like three sugars, three sugars. It's like and Emily Bond is just like, OK, you know where the helicopter keys are. And he's just like, let's just go to the farmhouse. Like, let's just spend the night. Let's get up in the morning and we can just deal with this in the morning. He's just like trying to break that loop of her wanting to just keep on moving on. But he can't. And it's almost that like that's kind of what you see in this movie is that a lot of things don't change as you're going through the movie. Like, right. Everybody kind of has the same beats. It's just like fate just kind of keeps moving on and on. So he's like almost trying to change her mind about wanting to be not like romantically involved with him, but for her to just kind of take a minute, take a minute for herself and himself. And uh, yeah, I, I really enjoy that. Um, farmhouse scene and find it very kind of poignant in a movie that you could easily just, if you're not paying attention, you could chalk it up as a popcorn blockbuster. Um, and it is, but with some nice moments in it. Yeah. The note that I made specifically about that scene was that, that, that moment towards the end, specifically the part with the sugars and his, his, you know, revelation to her after she asks him what's going on, it adds weight to this scene that really felt out of place up until that point. Mm hmm you know, that it, it didn't belong. And then suddenly with this revelation, it's like, oh, this does belong. This right. is like 
there's actually some character development in here and you know it is part of their mission right yeah you're almost expecting like emily blunt she pulls out her gun and she says look i'm tired let's just reset this and like you're almost <laughs> just expecting that to just like happen it's like this is the first time you're seeing um Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt off the beach. You're just waiting for Tom Cruise to die again. And so it, it is kind of this weird, like, okay, why, why are we seeing this romantic involvement or this attempted romantic involvement right now? And then just Tom Cruise's just look when she realizes what he's doing to try and get her to slow down a minute. And it's just like, Oh man, poor guy. <laughs> I love her pulling the pistol out to reset him. I mean, she does it several times, especially during the training montage where like suddenly he's broken his back or he's broken a leg. And rather than deal with, you know, medics and that kind of stuff, she just kills him. Right. And I just, I, that just cracks me up. And I particularly love it um, when they get caught, when they're trying to break into the headquarters and they get caught and it's like, I'm sitting there as an audience member going, how the hell are they going to get out of the, oh, she's just going to kill him again. And that's going to start the cycle over again. (laughs) All right. I guess uh, easy solution, but (laughs) yeah, but it's a, but it's a clever way to deal with that. Right. uh, That I just, you know, I, I would forget about over the course of the movie, which was kind of nice to have that. Yeah, totally. So you, you, we've mentioned Tom Cruise. We've mentioned Emily Blunt. We would be doing a great disservice to this movie if we didn't mention the absolute gold that is Bill Paxton in this oh, film man. as the master sergeant. He doesn't have a huge part, but I love, uh, you know, you get to hear his lines that he says so much, but especially his uh, tip of the spear, edge of the knife, crack of my ass speech that he right. gives. I, I quote that all the time. Nobody gets what I'm talking <laughs> about because I'll do the whole Bill Paxton accent. But uh, yeah, I use that quite a bit. <laughs> all right. We got it. We've got to hear you do it. Do it with the, oh. with the accent. All right. Tip of the spear, edge of the knife, crack of my ass. <laughs> now, J squad, what is my opinion of gambling in the barracks? <laughs> yeah, that's I've not watched, bad. That's pretty good. I've watched this movie like maybe too much, but God, I love it. No. And I, that was, you know, it's funny because he really only has like maybe a page of dialogue but he has to deliver it in different ways mm-hmm. depending upon what's going on in the scene because of, you know, the cycle resetting and it's, he's just gold whenever he's on screen. I mean, I just absolutely loved him, especially as he gets later on and Tom Cruise is just not putting up with his shit and is, is doing everything to, you know, not shut him down because that would be disrespectful, but to kind of keep him at bay. And it's like just the look on his face as he's trying to say the exact same lines, but is, kind of being curtailed is just hilarious. Right. Yeah. Like um, Bill Paxton almost plays like the foil to Tom Cruise's smooth talking PR military guy at the beginning. And then when Tom Cruise realizes that he can't get out of this, it's like then Tom Cruise plays the foil to Bill Paxton, giving his whole spiel and like making sure that Tom Cruise understands that he's in like a world of shit right now. Uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> I, I love it when Bill Paxton is just like going through the exact same stuff that he said before, but it's like he's slowing down and like trying to figure out what Tom Cruise is doing and like, why does he seem to act like he knows all these people? Yeah, he's he's great in this. Yeah.
Hello everyone. Let me tell you about the Apple for the Teacher podcast. I'm Anna Thomas, a teacher and your host. So you're probably thinking it's about reading, writing and arithmetic, right? Well, think again. It's a fresh take on true crime, where you wouldn't expect to find true crime. In schools, yes, schools. You will hear tragic stories about murder, abduction, school bus hijack, student disappearance, suicide, kidnap and ransom, a school camp tragedy, the list goes on. So if you're looking for something a little different in the true crime genre, then Apple for the Teacher is for you. So join me as I present the bad apples. But until then, remember to be a good apple. So let me ask you something, because there's there's some theories surrounding the movie that I had no idea were there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and one of those theories is that his resets are actually co- creating parallel universes. So uh, I'm sure you're familiar with the concept of parallel universes from, you know, if nothing else, Avengers giving us their breakdown. But the idea right. being that anytime you make a decision, it splits off an alternate universe. And the like the leading support for this theory is the when he's trying to escape from the pt and he rolls under the truck and he doesn't make it that the scene continues on even though he's now been squished by the truck with bill paxton asking what in the hell happened here and them looking down at his body do you give any support to that theory or or do you think something else um hmm you know, there's some weight to that kind of theory, especially with how kind of the movie ends with how it goes back, which, of course, I'm sure we'll get into. But I, I don't know. I think I think it's a loop. I think it keeps looping on itself. I think it's a good theory and I could certainly see it. But I think based on what continues to happen, I think it's a loop over on itself and it's just one universe rather than multiple universes and multiple branching um, universes. Yeah. And, and the, the argument against it that I absolutely loved was someone pointed out the um, tens, if not hundreds of realities where uh, Rita would be charged with, you know, murder for having shot Tom Cruise <laughs> on the training ground. <laughs> right. Yeah. Nobody, nobody really wants to see the trial of uh, Emily Blunt's character. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, there it would be a pretty, uh, Close and shut case. <laughs> well, and we mentioned Bill Paxton, so we kind of have to mention Brendan Gleason, who plays the general. Mm-hmm. Kind of an unimpressive role for Gleason compared to many of the other roles that he's played that that certainly are, are more notable. But at the same time, he has a lot of fun with this character, uh, especially the first scene he has with Cage, where he is, you know, sending him to the front lines and refusing to take no for an answer. You know, and then eventually leading him to, you know, knock him down to private and brand him a deserter. But then later, the other scene with him in Cage where, you know, Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt want to get that item from him and are, you know, trying to kind of, and Cruise is kind of pulling the one over on him about how he predicting everything that's going to happen and his reactions there. Yeah. I mean, he does not get a lot of scenes to like chew on and play with, but when he does, like, especially that beginning you know you're thrown into the situation that tom cruise is thrown in 
without like anything, you know, you're kind of in the same as the movie viewer, you're kind of in the same boat as Tom Cruise, like everything just kind of turned 180 on Tom Cruise. And, you know, like you said, he's busted down to private and it's all just because the major general was feeling particularly shitty that day and didn't want to deal with Tom Cruise's bullshit. Um, right. Yeah. So I, I really enjoy his character and wish there were kind of maybe some more scenes with him, especially when they're trying to get the device so they can find the Omega. I think it would have been funny to have seen some more of those loops uh, where they're trying to get it. But with the scenes that he got, I think he did a great job. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I uh, I agree. I mean, I, I love Brennan Gleason. I think he's a phenomenal actor. And you're right. He does great with the scenes that he gets here. He just, from my taste, I wish that he had been in more. And I think you're right. Seeing some more loops of them trying to get the device would have been a great way to include him some more. But I mean, the movie moves at a pretty brisk pace. Uh, mm. it, it, it does not really at any point slow down to the point that you're wondering what's going on which is a good thing because anytime you have time travel in a movie whether it's loops like this or actual time travel when you slow down is where you run the risk of losing the audience because that's when they can start to really think about what's going on and and this movie doesn't really give the audience time to think about it yeah it's it moves at like a good clip and especially during this viewing you know after a f- certain number of loops of Tom Cruise getting to the beach and saving some people and not saving others. You're kind of like, okay, we got it. But I think the movie does a very good job of not letting you get used to what Tom Cruise is doing. Like he gets to the beach. He learns that Emily Blunt's character wants to talk to him because she's been through the same thing. So then he gets a couple of loops of trying to get out of PT and actually trying to go see Emily Blunt. And then he gets a couple of loops of trying to train with Emily Blunt. So it's, it's, almost like certain sections of the movie that you can break it out into of what like seeing Tom Cruise's progression as his character. But the movie never lets you just be like, okay, he's going to do this again. And Emily Blunt's probably going to shoot him in the head again. And Oh wait, no, they're at a farmhouse now and he's talking about (laughs) coffee and stuff. So yeah, I think it's, it's, it would, would have been very easy for them to have just done a bunch of loops and kind of play that up and play more into the humor aspect of it. But I, I enjoy how it moves uh, enough that you, nobody should get bored with it. No. The one thing that I will say against it, well, no, that I'm going to say something else against it in a few minutes. But the one thing that I will say against it is it predicts it's a little too predictable from the moment Emily Blunt talks about having the gift and then losing it because she got injured on the battlefield and ended up getting a blood transfusion and lost the power with that. Because the moment she says that, you know that's going to end up happening to Tom Cruise at some point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I don't, again, I can't explain why I've watched this movie 15 times. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good, I mean, it's a fun movie. I'm not going to criticize you for watching it 15 no. times at all. <laughs> that would be, that'd be a pretty bad way to get somebody on your podcast. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so why, so why did you pick this movie and what the hell is wrong with yeah, you? <laughs> why do you hate this stupid movie? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no i mean like you know with any kind of big popcorn action movie there's stuff that it's like okay i see that coming but i do like that scene where he uh gets the blood transfusion and when uh he's trying to get out of the hospital bed because number one we get to see some of that tom cruise craziness when he flips over the hospital cot i guess not a hospital bed um, yeah but he like flips it over and he's in his uh 
his restraints and then Emily Blunt, you hear the alarms going off and Emily Blunt comes in and is like, dude, what the hell? I got out like three minutes ago. Let's get moving. <laughs> I thought you were good at this. Which is really perfect for this Tom Cruise character because like Ethan from the Mission Impossible movies would have been out of that bed in like 30 seconds after flipping it over. But right. Cage just has no clue how to deal with this. Right. He yeah. manages. He's like, OK, well, let me flip the bed. Oh, shit. Now what? <laughs> right. He, did, he didn't have a loop where he had to flip a hospital bed and get out of the restraints. I mean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so he loses his ability, but they're still going to go on this this final mission, you know, figuring out where the Omega is. They're both focused that much on it. And I guess they kind of have to because now the Omega's got the upper hand since right. Cage has lost the ability to do the, the, the resets. And again, all of that being very predictable, not so predictable. They managed to get J squad on their side to, to go on this final mission. Although, you know, it's pretty much a, a death run for a lot of them, if not all of them. Uh, and then evidenced by the fact that when, when he and Rita are trying to figure out what to do, she says to him, neither of us are coming back from this. Like right. they acknowledge that it is a suicide run. Yeah. Um, I will say, so I don't know how much you read into it, but. In reading, I guess, probably the Wikipedia article about it, apparently what was supposed to happen with the ending was one member of J-Squad, I think Griff, was supposed to kill an alpha and then just become exactly like Tom Cruise, get the alpha's blood on him and then get the Omega's power and be able to reset the days by dying every single day or whenever he wanted to, I guess. Um, so that was the original ending. And then Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt apparently talked to the writer and the director and were like, uh, this is kind of dark. (laughs) Not that it would be, I don't think it's the darkest thing. I think it would actually been kind of interesting to have seen that, but yeah, apparently Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt kind of threw their weight around and said, maybe make it a little bit happier ending where Tom Cruise, where we actually defeat the Omega that. I think leading up to everything with J squad, the ending may be the weakest point of the movie uh, just because like you said, it's so predictable uh, kind of a suicide mission. J squad is this group that you were introduced to at the beginning of the movie and nobody's expendable, but it's like, okay, we got this cast of characters that we can be upset at that people are dying. And of course the two leads are going to have to save the day at the very last minute. And of course, Emily Blunt's going to have to, sacrifice herself and Cruz is going to have to do what he can to kill the Omega. But yeah, I had read a theory that there was a loop in there somewhere because, uh, and maybe it was in the original novel. I haven't read the novel, so maybe, but then again, you're saying it's vastly different. Um, but that there was the allusion to there being a loop in there somewhere because there's, they, they encounter such resistance when they get to Paris that, Somebody even says it's like they were expecting us. And that's supposed to have clued the audience into the idea that they have done this before. And the Omega has somehow, you know, has has looped things back so that the mimics can come out victorious. Yeah. Um, I, I just thought that was a throwaway line. I hadn't read that much into it. No. And that I mean, that could give a little more weight to the ending. But uh, of course, the movie is going to have to end in a big, big battle with Tom Cruise being thrown off a helicopter and doing all his cool stunts and stuff. So, well, and that's my biggest issue with the movie more so than the farmhouse scene feeling a little out of place, because again, it redeemed itself um, more so than the predictability is that 
Gage gets the shit beaten out of him in that last scene. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, he's gone up against an alpha. He's been beaten by other mimics. You know, they've been through pure hell. He does not swim that far down in the underwater <laughs> lake when he's been that beaten upon. Like, that's the point. And, and, and most action movies do it. And I, I know that. And we're supposed to have the willful suspension of disbelief. But they're just most action movies reach a point where they want you to forget how beaten their protagonist has been so that you get one last really awesome stunt in. And, th- and th- this just happens to be swimming the underwater lake. But I just couldn't let it go. I was just like, no, he doesn't do that. <laughs> yeah, I think especially so when he before he goes into the underwater lake and he crashes into the Louvre and falls down a bunch of stories, that's kind of also where I'm like, OK, we saw him going from this vulnerable, not even a soldier at the very beginning to apparently this guy who wouldn't have his back broken by falling off whatever kind of vehicle they were in, not a helicopter, but some sort of heli plane or something like. Right, right. Like, so we can't. So Cage hasn't broken his back like this wouldn't be. And maybe that's where he the loop, you know, talking about. Oh, there could have been a loop before. Maybe that's where he died before he broke his back and Emily Blunt had to kill him. But yeah, the ending is kind of where it's like the movie leads to so much greatness. And I think the ending just falls onto the more of the sci-fi action movie tropes um, that you kind of see in Tom Cruise's other movies. So I'm not totally defending it. And I think (laughs) especially when Tom Cruise turns around after he's pulled the pin on the grenades And it's like the mimic or I think it's an alpha thinks he killed Tom Cruise and he turns around. He's like, ha ha, look, I pulled the pin on all my grenades. Like, say bye to your Omega. Just like, all right. Like (laughs) there are some great moments of humor in this movie, but I don't know if we needed that weird kind of humorous ending. I don't know. But yet I can imagine seeing this in a theater and everyone going nuts at that moment, you know, of him opening his hand and those all the pins, you know, falling out of his hand. Right. I mean, yeah. So the actual ending, then them defeating the Omega and then suddenly he jumps back again. But instead of it being on the pile of bags, you know, at the training camp, he pretty much loops back to the very beginning of the movie when he's on the helicopter before he even meets the general. Right. What is your interpretation? What is your take on this ending? Because I'm still up in the air about it. So after doing some of my own private research, um, publishing my paper, you know, you can read about it, you know, in maybe another year, Harvard <laughs> will be uh, publishing that. Peer reviewed um, and double checked yeah, for facts yeah, exactly. and such. Yeah, you know, we got to the technology had to catch up to where I was writing. So um, <laughs> now I think. Uh, I think what happened is that Tom Cruise is now the Omega and now he has the power to reset the day. I don't know if he has the power to reset the day whenever he wants to, but I believe he has the Omega's like ultimate power of being able to reset the day based on, I guess, feelers in the world or what uh, Tom Cruise perceives to be something that he needs to reset the day for. And then he goes to see Rita and her response is yes. What do you want? And I'm assuming we're just supposed to interpret that as this is the first time they're meeting again. As far as she's concerned, she doesn't remember that they came out victorious. Yeah, I I think that's how I've uh, viewed that kind of scene in there. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And I know they're working on a sequel for this. Right. Um, 
there, there has been, we probably should have talked about it early in the episode, but oh well. There's been some debate around the name of this film. It's supposed to be Edge of Tomorrow, according to the studio. And the live, die, repeat is just supposed to be the tagline for the film. But in the advertising, both on the movie poster and then especially on the uh, home DVD Blu-ray copies, the tagline loomed larger than the actual title of the film to the point that most like streaming sites and, and websites selling the DVD and stuff bill it as live, die, repeat, edge of tomorrow. Yeah. And then the sequel is allegedly live, die, repeat, repeat. Oh, no. <laughs> no? Oh, no, no. I was going to say, I, I was saying, oh, no, as a worried fan about how much I love. <laughs> Maybe I won't be watching the sequel 15 times. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm interested to see what would actually happen with the sequel if they if it actually happens, because I do like Tom Cruise's sci-fi movies and I do like Emily Blunt a lot. I don't know. I think this is kind of a perfect standalone sci-fi movie and not everything needs to be its own franchise and its own trilogy or anything. So why can't we just leave? Or if there's a whole nother story they could tell in the universe, I don't know how they could do that if they even could. I mean, there's almost endless possibilities. So I don't know if there needs to be a sequel to Tom Cruise specifically, but I think Tom Cruise may bankroll part of it and Emily Blunt may bankroll part of it, so that's probably how they get the sequel going. Yeah, no, I I agree. I kind of like this as a standalone film. I think we've seen with other what I would consider similar sci-fi films, you know, like Independence Day. You know, it was a good standalone sci-fi action flick. And, you know, they, what, 20 years later decided to do a sequel on it. And that just was disastrous. Right. (laughs) Um, Starship Troopers, you know, had several direct-to-DVD sequels that weren't very good i just i think precedence has shown us you know this was a good idea it was fun it's well executed it's a good popcorn action flick it does have some little bit of of brain content in there for you to mull over and think about especially like how do you interpret the end and i'd rather them just leave it that way than potentially mar it with a sequel that ends up just kind of pulling everything down right yeah um well i don't know if if you want me to, are you actually interested in reading the novel? If I can spoil. I am. Okay. Yeah. I, I won't say anything. Um, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Well, I- so, interested, interested in for a movie that came out in 2014 means I want to get to it, but obviously I'm not in a rush. Right. <laughs> <laughs> kind of the same way with the movie, you know? <laughs> um, so in the novel, Tom Cruise's character cage actually realizes after killing the Omega that Rita for Emily Blunt's character is now the Omega. It's like whoever kills the Omega last is the Omega and Rita Vertasky killed the Omega. So now Tom Cruise or Cage's character cage in the novel has to kill Rita Vertasky. So in the novel, it's more spelled out that, okay, cage is now the Omega. He kills the last Omega. Like there can't be two Omegas. So he kills the Omega kills Rita and then he can have the power. So that's kind of where I'm coming from with why do we need a sequel? It's like, okay, you have this kind of ambiguous ending that just seems cool enough and smart sci-fi enough that it will satisfy some people and keep people wanting more. But why do we really need to go back to the exact same characters and the exact same story? Like 
So are we going to see <laughs> Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt like settle down now? They're married. Like, you know, Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt get into a fight and Tom Cruise can just snap his fingers and there's a he loops the day so they don't get into that <laughs> fight. Like, you know. <laughs> so by that logic, potentially Tom Cruise would be the villain in a follow up movie. Well, oh, so if they were to do that, I think that would actually be kind of cool. Um, yeah. If, you know, yeah. I think that now be, I'm now I'm interested. <laughs> right. Yeah. They just don't have they shouldn't mess it up. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, I don't trust them not to mess it up. But all right. Anything else you want to chat about before we move into the uh, closing credits? Uh, no, I, I really appreciate you watching this movie and everybody should watch this movie. All right. Got a couple of games before you're done here. Um, first up, the algorithm says this is a kind of a lightning round. These are movies that various algorithms say you will like because you liked Edge of Tomorrow. So it's kind of quick reaction. You like it. You don't like it. You've never seen it. You don't understand how it's connected to Edge of Tomorrow, that kind of thing. Got it. All right. So first up, we've already talked a little bit about it. Oblivion. Like it. <laughs> I, I, I think it's funny. The review said, I bet you can barely remember that one. And I had already said, I don't remember it. So that's, yeah. I'm going to have to revisit it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, again, a movie that I probably won't defend. Like you'll, you may come back to me and be like, why did I even take your suggestion of watching it again? But uh, I don't as much as people hated that movie. I did not mind it. Okay. Uh, we'll see if you say the same thing about the next right. one. Elysium. <laughs> I did not like that one. <laughs> 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 oh no <laughs> what does this no, say about I, me as a person <laughs> it says you have good taste frankly okay. <laughs> good. i don't know many people who did like that one yeah. so. um district nine i uh, love that one yeah all right looper Lo oh man that is another one of my favorite movies that uh i've probably seen that movie maybe like 10 times rather than 15 interesting yeah. i love that movie i'm I, I'm not as big a fan of that one. I, I like Ryan Johnson, but I did not like Looper all that much. So yeah, that's why I defend the last Jedi. It's like, but it's Ryan Johnson. He made Looper. <laughs> right. <laughs> Maybe pick a different movie to use as your defense. There, no. He, he did um, knives out. <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right. Source code. Oh, I love that movie. That's a good yeah. one. Yeah, I was not, really happy to see that one pop up on the list. Yeah, not a lot of people have seen that one, but that's a good one. Now we get into some ones that I don't know quite how they're connected, so I'll be interested to see what you come up with. Okay. Um, iRobot. Uh, I do not like that one. I guess maybe the role of fate with robots, and are they programmed to do the same thing over and over again? But the iRobot movie is pales in comparison to all of I, Isaac Asimov's work. So agreed. Yeah. My, my best guess was the connection was it was a novel adaptation, sci-fi right. novel adaptation. So. Yeah. Um, limitless. Uh, <laughs> that's probably one of my favorite movies to joke about. Um, <laughs> just because it's so ridiculous. I think I watched it as more of like a popcorn flick where I didn't have to pay attention to it. Yeah. Not one of my favorite movies. No, nah, it's fun. It's Bradley Cooper fun too. So, mm. um, the great wall. Uh, I, is that the, I have not seen that one. I remember the commercials for it. Um, I have not seen that one. Yeah. That's the, the Matt Damon kind of right. they accused of whitewashing because it's right. a China story. Uh, I haven't seen it either. And I have no idea how it would be connected to this movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Two more world war Z. Oh, um, I remember seeing that in theaters. It's all right. 
Um, not a great zombie movie, not a great action movie, just kind of middle of the road. Yeah. Have you read the book? Yeah. I, I love the book. The book yeah, is Yeah, the book incredible. is phenomenal. Yeah. And again, that's my only guess is novel adaptation. Right. Um, yeah. And then lastly, Passengers. I have not seen that one. Oh, that's a pretty good one. Okay. That's, uh, I, I just caught that. I didn't catch it in theaters. I just caught it like a year or two ago and it was, I, I was, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I'll Although check it out. The argument could be made that Chris Pratt is a little creepy at times in it, but it's supposed to be sweet. So, oh, cool. All right. Lastly, we always end with a pop quiz for multiple choice questions uh, related to the movie you've picked. Are you okay. ready? Sure. And I don't have my bell. Oh, well. Uh, number one, although never mentioned in the movie, the source material gives a reason why Rita, the angel of Verdun, chooses to carry a sword. What is her reason? A, it looks badass. B, melee weapons don't run out of ammo. C, she had extra time between resets and became proficient in it for fun. Or D, she had gotten it from Hendrix and carried it to remember him. I'm going to say B. Melee weapons don't run out of ammo. Exactly. Although my understanding is it's actually an axe in the novel instead yeah. of a sword. But yep. yeah, that's her. Apparently during some of her resets, she would run out of ammo. So she learned to use melee weapons. Uh, number two, when Rita first appears on screen, she punches a soldier for calling her by her nickname, Full Metal Bitch. The punch was particularly satisfying because the soldier was really A, Blunt's brother, B, Blunt's agent, C, Blunt's ex-boyfriend, or D, Blunt's stunt trainer. Oh, man. I'm going to say A, Blunt's brother. Very good. Two out of two so far. Yeah, that's her, actually her younger brother that she punches in that scene. <laughs> that's fun. <laughs> All right, number three, during the opening establishing montage, Cruz's character is shown superimposed over a background from another movie. Where is he? A, a shield helicarrier from Avengers. B, the Fortress of Solitude from Man of Steel. C, NORAD Command from War Games. Or D, the precog base from Minority Report. Oh, I would say C. NORAD Command from War Games, absolutely dead on. And the only oh, reason man. I noticed it is because I just watched that movie last week for a, a appearance I'm putting in on another podcast. Oh, nice. <laughs> I wish it was the Fortress of Solitude. That would be pretty badass, <laughs> but... <laughs> yeah, no, it's NORAD Command. Man, three out of three. All right, here's your chance to do a perfect four. Uh, number four, like Cruz, Blunt did most of her own stunts during principal photography. However, when the cast reunited for reshoots, she abstained from doing stunt work. Cruz pressured her to explain why, at which point she admitted to him, A, she had fallen out of shape between filming shoots, B, the stunt workers union had pressured her out of doing her own stunts, C, her husband had pressured her out of doing her own stunts, or D, she was pregnant and couldn't risk doing the stunts. I'm going to say D. She was pregnant and couldn't risk doing her stunts. Sure enough, Cruz became the third person, according to the story, to know that she was expecting. Oh, wow. <laughs> so perfect. Four out of four. Good job, man. Thank you. All right. So where can people find you? What do you want to promote? And I particularly want to hear the story behind your show because I, it it's uh, so unique in that it doesn't have a, a specific niche that it falls into. Oh, thank you. So I am just one half of the uh, Passion Fruits podcast in which we, on each episode, we take a subject that either we are super passionate about or our guests are super passionate about. And we try and get down to how somebody goes from a casual fan to a fanatic and try and figure out what was kind of the turning point for someone becoming interested in the subject we're talking about to becoming an obsessive about it. So we've had episodes 
uh, about Metallica, about Dave Matthews Band, Foo Fighters, Queens of the Stone Age, mountain biking, The Simpsons, Frasier. We're trying to cover everything and uh, <laughs> bringing people along with us to get to discover what makes someone so passionate about something. Yeah, it's really interesting. I listened, uh, I just kind of scrolled through your episodes to find one that would be of particular interest to me and listened to your one on computer design, computer programming design, which, you know, again, you just listed some bands, you listed some TV show, here's computer. That's why I said it doesn't really fall in a niche because you kind of hit on a little bit of everything. It's just what people are passionate about. And I found that really an interesting approach. Well, thank you for checking that out. Yeah. So where can people find that? Where can people find you? What do you want to promote? Uh, so passion fruits can be found on Twitter at passion fruits podcast. Our handle or our username is passion fruits P two. We're on Instagram at passion fruits podcast, Facebook at passion fruits podcast. If you really want intermittent tweets, like from me every six months, you can find me at Dan <laughs> is in the radio. Um, yeah. Fantastic. Well, I really appreciate you bringing uh, Edge of Tomorrow. This is a nice break from the comedies I've been watching lately, but still not something so dark that it didn't feel like a lot of fun you know, to watch right now. This is a good escapism, great popcorn movie, and I really appreciate you bringing it to the show. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much. So that does it for this week, but you can keep the conversation going throughout the week on social media. Share your thoughts about Edge of Tomorrow, or maybe tell me about a movie you'd like to come on the show and talk about. You can find me at Talon Hess on Twitter, or the show at Have Not Seen This on Twitter, on Facebook, where I have not seen this podcast, or you can email me at havenotseenthis at gmail.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, including next week, which features an unlikely relationship between a 20-something and a septuagenarian. This podcast is available through all major podcast sources. Positive ratings and reviews are always welcome, as is just sharing the podcast with a friend and spreading the love. And if you like World of Warcraft or other Blizzard games, be sure to check out my other podcast, Citizens of Azeroth, a World of Warcraft podcast, also available through all major podcast sources. Special thanks to Chris Talent for our wonderful theme song, and thanks to Daniel for providing this week's conversation. Until next week, I'm Rafe Telsch, and this has been Have Not Seen This.